mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, it's Candace and Kayla and we are directionally challenged. Yeah, we thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were like in our 30s. Maybe, but guess what? We don't. We don't. We definitely don't. But we are going to talk about some important information today. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk, take on a more serious subject than we usually do. Uh, Today we're going to talk about breast cancer. Yeah, that's a big, it's a tall order. And um, I know it's very personal for me because my mom did have breast cancer. And um, we're going to also talk about the BRCA gene, which is BRCA1 and BRCA2. And it's something you can get tested for. Something we went through, my sister and I, when my mom was diagnosed, we thought, is this genetic? Is this something that we're going to have to consider a part of our identity for the rest of our lives? And my mom did get tested right away and it was negative, thank God. But For a lot of people, that's not the case. And so that's what Caitlin's here to talk to us about. So did your mom get tested for the BRCA gene? She did. She got tested um, after she'd gone through, I think, a few years of having um, breast cancer. And it was something that my sister and I felt from the very beginning was a big deal to us. Is it something that is going to be genetic and we're going to have to deal with this um, all the time? And to be honest, it's kind of hard to talk about. It's emotional still to this day. And she is... I think now it's six and a half years cancer-free, which is fantastic, but it's always something that is on your mind and a part of your story. So she got tested and it was negative, thank God. But that's not always the case for everyone. Does she have other family members who... She doesn't have other... We don't have other family members that have breast cancer, but other types of cancer. My mom's dad died of prostate cancer. So it does, it's a big, cancer is a big word in our family. It's an emotional word. It's emotional. It's a weighted word. Luckily, we have uh, had the pleasure of getting to know this incredible woman. Her name is Caitlin Brodnick. And she wrote a book all about it. She wrote a book called Dangerous Boobies, Breaking Up With My Time Bomb Breasts. And if you could ever put like a like a, a hot pink cover on the word cancer, uh, Caitlin is definitely taking that on. Uh, she 
was tested for the BRCA gene when she was in her early 20s and she tested positive and decided towards her late 20s to have a double preventative mastectomy. And she wrote an entire book about her journey. She's now in her 30s. She lives in New York. Um, she has a two, almost two-year-old. And she happened to be in Los Angeles. We've had her name on our list to want to interview her for months. So we're so grateful that she's here and willing to share her story and open up about her journey through having a preventative double mastectomy with us and with you, our listeners. So without further ado, here's Caitlin. And we're here with Caitlin Brodnick. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We've actually had your name and your book on a list of like guests that we've really wanted to talk with for a while now. Yeah. Thank you. That's so nice. I really appreciate it. That's so kind. So you're here all the way from New York. Obviously, we want to talk about your book, Dangerous Boobies. Um, when did you first realize we're just going to jump in Go. and don't be too intimidated by Kayla and my breast size. We oh, know yeah. we No, <laughs> you're amazing. You're, when, well, that was my goal in life <laughs> was to have breasts that weren't insane. But I, I listened to your book on mm-hmm. audiobook and I've never really thought about kind of the physical components of what it means to care, like have big boobs. Yes. I always wanted them. I was not a bra stuffer, but maybe I would layer on some cutlets. Sure. So it was like, you know, the evolution of the bra stuffing. Of course. But was there a period of time where you were like, you realized, oh, I have like boobs, like when you were young and you were developing or was yeah. it overnight or just? No, it was like very young. But so on my side of the family, I'm half Jewish, half Catholic. And so there's like the Jewish side, which is really large busted full women. And then the Catholic side is just like amazing washboard stomachs and tall shiksas. And it's like, I was just growing up, I was like, I'm going to be on one. And it was obviously the Jewish side. Like I just, I knew that that was my new place in life. But um, yeah, I think I was pretty young when they started to develop. And I remember like a girl was playing soccer in her backyard and she was like, she had her top off and just wearing shorts. And she looked like her body was not intimidating, like just like like the shape of a young kid. It was like a boy, um, no breasts or anything. And I was like, I could never do that. Like I realized that I think I was in like fifth grade, fourth grade. And I was like, I could never not wear a shirt. Like that was just like a weird, and I, this girl might've been just a weirdo, but she, she was like maybe a little too old to not be wearing a shirt. But I think she was trying to like, you know, express her gender and be free and be like, you know, she didn't have any breasts to start with. And she was like, if boys can do it, I can do it. I remember looking at her like, oh, we're not the same. We're so different. At what age did you start to develop your 32 Gs? Right? Yeah, enormous. Yeah. Huge fan favorites. Um, they were, <laughs> I think they developed around like fourth grade, fifth grade. I don't know, but I That's like- That's early. That's yeah. very early. Well, they just like, like, they just had a soft boob. Like I just, it wasn't like the enormous- enormous boobs. I think they got really big, um, like in high school to college. And then I had to like get, like start getting specialty bras. Mm-hmm. But it's like when you get that, like when you you have your period and then you get that little hump of like gaining that little bit of weight and you're like, oh, my body's changing. That little bit of weight was also just like huge cans. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> the boobs just grew right I in. mean, when you have to get specialized bras, is that a badge mm-hmm. of honor? I mean, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's okay. such a pain in the ass because they're so expensive. It's not like you go in and everyone's like, and here's a cupcake. You're so lovely. You're so beautiful. You're this young girl that your breasts are tender. Um, you're being completely over sexualized before you're ready. Like it doesn't matter if I wasn't comfortable around men, like men were already determining, determined like how they felt about me. And men already were like, I'm going to sexualize you. I don't even know your age. I don't know your name. And so to be like in middle school and have people look at you in a certain way, in a way that feels like sometimes threatening, sometimes curious, you don't know. I mean, and I know every woman I know very sadly has had uh, some sort of situation with a man and that they haven't wanted. It's been like un, un like wanted or advertised or comfortable not comfortable with, um, when you start to get those looks or feelings very young and when your family starts to be like, I don't know, you start to ask questions and you start to see things and see the way men treat women in a very young age. And it's not sort of this carefree fun thing that boobs are not really a novelty. It's not like you're throwing on a new fun bra. And I think like people adore breasts and breasts are so fun and so full and so like luscious and represent so much a femininity, but they're also, there's so much power and they're an exterior body part. So people 
um, have an opinion on them. Like you can, you can feel however you want about your breasts, but someone else is looking at you, viewing you, and sometimes touching you or bumping into you um, very young. And mm. so I think having breasts that young, it made me just not feel ready for it or prepared. And I remember I was in like a play and my aunt was uh, an out-of-work actress, very cranky about it, but she was like, you're going to wear this push-up bra and you're going to be the Broadway baby and this vixen. And like the character was kind of that, but she really wanted me to be <laughs> push it further. I was like, look, we're in a Maryland student show. <laughs> you don't have to do this. But she wanted me to go to Victoria's Secret. And she was like, look how young and how fresh you are. You look so good. And I was like, this is too much for Not me. Ready for it. I don't want this. I was in eighth grade. I was like, I don't want to be completely sexual. And like, I just want to sing and dance and have fun. And I know sometimes people look at young women's bodies and go, well, that might aesthetically be the perfect body, or that's like what Hollywood deems perfect, or look at your, everything's in proportion. It's so cute. Um, but when you are in the body, you don't really know it's sort of awkward. You haven't had enough years or had enough experience to like know how to feel comfortable, how to hold yourself comfortable, comfortably. And I remember Allie McBeal was really big and she just completely caved in her shoulders. So that like ultra skinny look of like caved in. And that felt so luxurious and safe to me, even though people said to have good posture. I was like, but Allie McBeal is basically a C curve. <laughs> I was like, but she's, it, it just felt so cozy and, and protective. like, yes. yeah. And so I really did always I think my shoulders were just a little too in, like I didn't have great posture. And um, also that's a lot to carry. That's a lot of weight. It's a lot to carry. Yeah. yeah. And also it makes you look larger and fuller no matter what. So you, I could be like at my thinnest, but I would always just feel a little bit more cumbersome and bigger. And then um, also to control the way people looked at me and treated me, I'd wear like multiple layers or scarves and then you would add more bulk to your body. You talked a lot about in the book about like, like, double brawing, mm -hmm. even just going for a jog, mm -hmm. how you'd have to like layer up a lot of scarves. Yes. Yeah. Many, many scarves you <laughs> yeah. talked about. You even talked about how like, if you ever want to give yourself a break, if you're a large busted woman, just take them and rest them on a shower like, counter. <laughs> a shelf, just yeah. put them on a shelf. <laughs> give them back a break. It feels so nice. I have to tell you from my perspective, having the opposite type body type, um, mm -hmm. I was in dance class as a young girl, probably oh, around yeah. eighth grade. And um, one of my friends had to always double yes. sports bra. Yes. Um, her boobs and I was so jealous of it because I just remember uh, from my perspective all the boys looking at her and seeing yes. that and so from the outside you think you want that of course because you see the attention and you see it all and I just remember being you know the complete opposite of probably the boy body girl you referenced yeah. in the beginning and wanting that so it's just all in perspective it is and you really don't know as a kid I think you're just trying to figure it out and it's sort of like your podcast you're just like I should know or I feel like I should know by now but I don't know what's happening mm -hmm. and I don't know like how to actually talk to boys and I don't actually know where I feel safe or comfortable. And for me, it was having that attention was incredibly intimidating. And to me, I feel like some women, and this is so interesting, and this is how women treated me when I told them I was getting um, a pre preventative double mastectomy, they would respond to me how they felt about their bodies. So some women would be like, oh my God, your treasured breasts, how do you live? And some women would be like, aren't you so fucking glad to get rid of these? Like, it's really how that person is internalizing their relationship. And I just... I never felt like when I was younger, I never felt really strong being the sexy girl because I, I felt like it would sort of get ahead of me and then I couldn't really control how people would treat me and then it would snowball and I, would, I felt like very dangerous with my sexuality. So I only wanted to be the funny girl and like being sexy cast and being sexy in parts, it was so terrifying to me because I had no control at that point. Because you were auditioning oh, in New York at the time. Yeah, I mean, and I've been an actor since I was like, Yes. I just, I mean, I like, I look at my life as like an actor. And so things I'm like, I just realized I, and in like little acting classes in college and everything, like they, I would never play the sexy role. Like that was so against. And I was like, no, I don't do that. And mm -hmm. it was just very, um, factual. And if somebody, just how people just like, don't give you those parts. Like they catch like, here, you play this, you play this. Like there was no ounce of sexuality oozing out of me. Cause I didn't want to be a part of that in any way. I was just, I'm a comedian. I'm going to be the funny one. I'm going to be the silly one. I can like jump and fall and like fart on stage. And that's where I am. <laughs> so you, that's what you felt comfortable. Very comfortable. Yeah. yeah. With a scarf on, of course. Meltable. <laughs> so you talked about having a double mastectomy when you didn't have cancer. Yes. Will you, will you go into depth with sure. about that for us? So you, how many family members ended up, um, getting, yeah, it's, 
it's okay. It's an uncomfortable it's thing so to talk sorry. about. No, it's, it's a, uncomfortable it's like weird. to talk How do you about. Say it? I know. Yeah. My, so my dad's the only surviving person in his family. He's lost both parents and both sisters to cancer. And so he grew up completely. So his sister died at 32 of breast cancer and they think she got it at 27. And by the time she went to the doctor, it was like it amassed to be like a golf ball size and black in her breast. And she really didn't want, like, I don't like going to the doctor either. Like she really didn't want that to be her reality. So she was very much ignoring it. Um, she just like wanted to live her life. She was a substitute teacher in Baltimore. I mean, she just was having fun. Maybe not a second grade teacher, not substitute. I'm getting my S's confused. Um, and she was really didn't wanted to ignore it, but that shook the whole family because she suddenly died. It was an aggressive cancer. And then my dad was in his early twenties and his sister, and this family was the closest, most tight knit, um, wonderfully like filled with Jewish guilt. Like you have to be with the family at all times, like just very loving, so much love. And then, you know, one of the family members is gone. And um, then slowly he's began to lose more and more family members of this uh, over from cancer. And so he, we grew up knowing, well, I grew up nine months after she died of breast cancer. So basically something happened after the funeral, who knows? And then nine <laughs> months later I was born. <laughs> so my family was like, you're the reincarnation of your dead aunt who died of breast cancer. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Yeah. No pressure. But you did save your family and you did save your bubby's life because she was going to kill herself basically. Wow. And I was born. I was like, okay, I'm going to poop and pee in my pants. Like, I don't know. Like, you're just a baby. Like, what do you, it was a lot of pressure, but it was also, it's in the Jewish heritage. It's like an honor. And you named the most recent born after the one who's recently passed. And so my middle name is Eileen and her name was Iris. And so it was also treated to me. I had a therapist say to my parents, like, that's a terrible thing to do to a child. But at the time we all thought of it as like this great honor. Like I had this job to do as a little kid and I felt very special. And I felt like my grandmother, my bubby and I have an, had an incredible strong bond. And that was very precious to me. So I didn't think it was weird. And now looking back, I was like, I should have never been told that as a child. But the word cancer is, uh, was around. Was around and you Big understood deal. what it meant. And I'm assuming it was a very scary word. It was a very yeah. weighted word. At what point did you realize that oh, I'm genetically connected. I could possibly be genetically connected to this word. Well, or my, what did it mean for you? Yeah, my dad realized that he got tested with Johns Hopkins University. He like offered his body up to science and was like, he's in the medical industry as well. And he wanted to get help. And so he came to me and said, this is so exciting. We have the BRCA1 mutation. So everybody has BRCA. Everybody has that gene, just like everybody has a bunch of genes. And BRCA is for BRCA, those. and that's the breast cancer gene. <laughs> not very interesting. Um, and there's BRCA1 and BRCA2. Mm -hmm. And BRCA1 has certain risks and BRCA2 has certain risks. So to say I'm BRCA1 positive means you are positive for the mutated version of the gene. What the gene does, so if you think about your body, if you cut your lip or you cut your elbow, those cells know to heal at different rates. Like my lip heals way faster than my elbow. Um, your cells rejuvenate, re, you know, regenerate constantly. And your body, all of the cells in your body have a certain playbook that they all go by. There's rules that they follow. So if you have a cancer cell, that cell is deciding to go off on its own. It's like a rogue cell. It's doing what it wants to do. So maybe instead of healing and your skin exfoliating and turning over, it decides to clam onto other cells and they create a little cluster or they create a spider web. And so what you don't want is that one rogue cell who's behaving badly to then latch onto other cells and to grow. So that's basically a very simplified version of cancer. And um, you have specific genes in your body to help suppress those crazy rogue cells. But if you have a mutated version of the gene, and in this case, BRCA1 that I have means that the cells in my breast and some ovaries, and now we found out there's melanomas attached to it, um, pancreatic, there's all these other cancers attached to it, and there's more coming down the pipeline. Um, my body doesn't suppress those cancer cells as well as someone who doesn't have the mutation. And so they told me, so they told my dad this, he was so excited. I was like, dear God, I don't want to know about this. Like I knew I would have it. And everyone's like, you could be tested because it's a 50, 50 chance. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a sister as well. Uh -huh, and she's negative for it. And my mom is negative for it. And this gene is pass passed down from family. So you're only at risk if you have a family member that has it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's common, most common in the Ashkenazi Jewish community. One in 40 um, Ashkenazi Jews have the gene. And it's that, so it's very, very overwhelming and very intense in those communities. And um, 
I didn't want to know I had it. I didn't want to know anything about it. I thought it was like so terrifying. And just basically, since we were all afraid that cancer was going to get us our whole lives, this was signing up for cancer. Like I was like, it, it felt like you were giving me a diagnosis it, or it felt like you think you're having fun now, but cancer's just going to come and get you. Like you were born into this, you have no chance. And I felt as a person that if I ever got diagnosed with cancer, I wouldn't be one of those incredibly strong hero women that are running marathons and changing lives and speaking publicly about it. I feel like it would be, um, I would take it very badly and take it very um, poorly and probably feel like I was defeated because I've been afraid of it for so long that it was like, well, this is definitely going to happen and that's my shit luck and this is my story. So I didn't want to know I got tested. And then I went to the doctor and for, because in 2010, the most popular allergy was a gluten allergy. So I went and was like, I think I have a gluten allergy. And she goes, I think you should get tested for BRCA. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. Like, do you have a two for one deal? <laughs> yeah, like a gluten yeah. BRCA deal? I was like, it's NVD, like whatever. It's like cancer. Ugh, I'm sick of it. So she tested me and I came back positive and that was terrifying. And it, and then it took me another three years to decide to have the surgery. It just really weighed on me. This is pre-Angelina Jolie. Um, this was- Who wrote an op-ed on, oh, uh, on her choice to have a, a preventative double mastectomy mm -hmm. as well. And eventually an ophorectomy. Um, and she, I think it was like 2013 when she came out with her op-ed piece, which was mind-blowing. Like if the most sexualized actress in the world who tons of people have seen her breasts or want to see her breasts doesn't care that they are 100% fake and she's getting prosthetic, you know, all of this, why do I care? Like 1.3 people have seen my breasts. Like it's like it's not the same. <laughs> like what am I so afraid of? Did you get inspired by her and do it afterwards or did you lead the way? I was, it was like at the exact same time I decided to do it. And then her op-ed piece came out while I was in the process of like doing it and getting started. And, um, and so in 2013, nobody my age was talking about it. Even Angelina Jolie was older than I was at that time. And the only people doing it were postmenopausal and women after they've breastfed because doctors at that time said, everybody believed in the medical industry, like your breasts are used for breastfeeding. So you can only do anything to them until after you've like done your usefulness as a woman and breastfed. And that is fine for some women. And looking back, like I, I did really miss the breastfeeding experience and I'll talk all about that and how like emotional it was when I had my baby. But, um, I was living in such like fear and intensity and pain in my life that I needed to solve the problem. Then I couldn't mm -hmm. wait. And it was also making me feel pressure to marry my, um, get married faster to have babies faster, like all of this. Because the percentage that they said, it's a very high percentage they mm -hmm. gave you the the chance of you getting cancer. Yeah, that my chance in my lifetime was 87% chance wow. of getting breast cancer. And you discovered this in your early 20s. Yeah, I was like 23, 24 and now it it raises over time. So it wasn't 87% chance at 23. That didn't really matter because it, it, if somebody said you have an 80% chance of getting hit by a bus in your future, I'm not going to leave my house. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> like it doesn't really actually matter. Um, nowadays, I think the percentage is less because they have more um, better screening, more high tech things. I think it's down to like 83 or 85%, but still like that's like a good B grade. Like I'd be happy with the 85% grade. So once you find out that you are a high percentage, mm -hmm. talk to us about the decision to actually go in then and get them completely removed. How does that feel? What's the emotional well, experience behind that? I then, like, as I was talking about before, like having that extreme over-sexualized feeling, I always sort of hated my breasts. They felt very cumbersome. I had weight issues also related to my breasts. Like I felt very heavy and full and just like they felt like laborious and just intense. Um, and then I just started to drink incredibly heavily. Like I just was like, well, I'm going to die eventually. You Like I might as well have cancer. Like it just, it didn't, as I was saying before, like it, I'm not the kind of person who can be this like on Oprah's special of changing lives and living with cancer. Like it shot me down and it got me so depressed. And I 
remember sitting in the back of a cab after getting my headshots taken and I was doing my headshots and they made me put on a blazer, which made me look like a linebacker. And all the shots we were doing, I was like, is there too much boob in this? Is there too much boob in that? It was when I had my old boobs. And you know, with headshots, it's just one picture and you can look like a sexualized prostitute or you can look like a nebbishy old lady. Yes. <laughs> so there's only two options. <laughs> and I was so upset and I was sitting in the back of the cab and I was like, I can't wait till I'm in my forties and fifties and I can finally get a mastectomy and get rid of these breasts and get the, choose my own breast size and make my own future. And I was like, I know. And my next thought was that in my forties and fifties, I'll really be so disappointed and mad at myself that I spent another 20 plus years hating my body. Like if, and also 20 plus years of being afraid of cancer, going and getting the screenings. Like I wasn't a good patient. Some of my friends are great and they go twice a month or twice a year to get screenings. And talk all about that, about these cancer screenings you can get when you are BRCA positive. Um, but I was just not living my life. And then I thought, I think I really want to get it now. I think this is, I could change my life. It could start now. And I was so nervous to tell my husband. And he was like, oh, great. Because you talk about dying of cancer all the time. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I agree. I think it would be great. For you. And I was so worried. Like we got married. I had these huge boobs. And like, I was like, I'm going to false advertising. We'd only been together a couple of years. And I was like, you know, I want to take them off and move on. And he's like, fabulous. I can't wait. Like, what it'll a great be good. Husband. So wow. great. I was so nervous. Was this around the same time that you also realized, okay, I need to take control back over my life? Because you yeah. also talked about like how you spent then a lot of time just being like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to yes. get really drunk a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, did you sober up and come to the real? realization like, oh no, I'm going to take charge of my life again. Yeah. It turns out I'm also an alcoholic. <laughs> so that's crazy. <laughs> like through all of this, they say like, you know, you reach your bottom and you realize like I need help. And it was like my second time in a hospital from alcohol poisoning. Um, that night I had tried to steal a Christmas tree, tried to smoke a cigarette in the cab in the Christmas tree, definitely puked in the cab. My husband had to come down the ambulance and the cops were, I mean, it was chaotic and I'm laying in bed and I'm wake up in the hospital and there's been somebody who's been having multiple seizures and poor, my husband, Alan, has been sitting there all night. He's like, white as a ghost. And he looks at me and I was like, oh my God, we had just gotten married two months before. And I, Alan had a tough childhood and I just kept telling him when we're married, it's going to be different. We're going to have a good life and I'm going to love you and we're going to create a peaceful home. And two months in, I was creating a nightmare for him, a, a complete nightmare. And I didn't think I had that much of a problem. I thought, um, I was too young to have a problem. I thought I just needed to like, almost like a diet. I received a stick, yeah, stick to it or something else. And then I woke up and I saw his face white as a ghost. And I was like, oh, I, this is a sick, like I have a problem. This is really bad. And, and I was young. I was uh, 27 and everybody around me was like, no, you're just an excitable girl or you're just fun or you're fine or just, just cut it out for a couple of weeks. Like nobody believed me, but I knew in that moment that what I had done to him that night was what I promised I would never do to him in our marriage and not the life I wanted to give him or me. And I went to an AA meeting the next day and I've been doing it for uh, December's eight years. Congratulations. Congratulations. And it's, I yes. love it. I love it. I, it's, it's, it was the most amazing sense of relief. I felt safe. Like he even said, it, you know, nobody really believed me at first. They thought I was kind of being, you know, somebody looking for a gluten allergy, you know, as I do. Um, and they're like, it's just another thing you're jumping on. But, um, I started to meet other alcoholics. I started to go to meetings. I started to be a part of this community. And the more I got healthier and the stronger I started and the more sober I got, other people around me were like, oh, you have changed. And I'd say to Alan, like, oh, I'm going to go out to dinner with my friends, uh, my sober friends. And he said that at first his stomach clenched. And then he was like, oh, she's not drinking. And he finally relaxed. And I realized his stomach must have clenched and he must have had that pain every time I went out. Mm. Like, it's just something that... You, put somebody you love through, you don't even realize because you're drinking to get out of your pain. And you really are, he was really like, um, held hostage by my, by my fear, by my alcoholism. So once I got sober in that way, I just could think a little bit more clearly. I'm not, I'm not going to say it'll happen to everybody. I don't know, but I just was thinking if I hadn't gotten sober, I would have drunk through probably all of my twenties to thirties, because this is such a scary thing. But when you have to be sober-minded and in a program that I'm in, you talk about, you're very honest, it's brutal honesty. So I, hiding things wasn't really an option. So I really had to talk things out. And I really think of that 
being that clear-headed helped me make this decision because otherwise I would have just like drowned it. So we talk about BRCA1, which is what you Mm -hmm, have. mm -hmm. What is BRCA2 and the difference between one and two? So BRCA2 is just a different gene mutation. And those are people who have BRCA2 have like a slightly lower risk of breast cancer and slightly lower risk of ovarian cancer. So I have a friend who is BRCA2 and she's choosing to get regular screening. So when you're tested positive for BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, it's almost like you're folder, your medical folder gets red tagged and you go to the head of the class and you can have, you do get multiple screenings and more in-depth screenings. Like instead of just a mammogram, you would get an MRI or you get an ultrasound. Um, Unfortunately, there are not good. It's just not, the technology is not there for ovarian screenings, but you'd go twice a year, whereas one person would go every five years. And so insurance covers it. Like everything is basically taken to this new level and more seriously. And you can, and you are greenlit to go to these specific cancer centers if you want to have high screenings. Um, Surgeries are approved by insurance. Like all of this is encouraged to prevent cancer at a very early stage. And so people can find it when they are um, people who have triple negative breast cancer, which is like really hard to detect. Um, People when they have at stage one or stage zero sometimes, which I didn't even know there was a stage zero cancer, but apparently, and I'm sure there's a doctor out there who could correct me, but it's when cancer is inside the cell, but hasn't broken out of the cell yet. Hmm. So it's like an un, it's like an, a cell that they're sort of nervous about. So they can remove that or remove that area. But when it then breaks through, that becomes um, cancer level one, I believe. But it's our responsibility to take that step and go get those, go get checked out and get those tests done. It's and hard. It's yeah. hard. I know. I'm like, I'm late even just for my yearly like pap smear. I and know. I'm like, oh, I gotta like go over. And then it's a thing to set up. But we as women have to take that responsibility for ourselves and for our future and for our, like the people that we love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that sounds like that's what you finally did. You were like, no, I, I want to take charge of my, mm-hmm. I don't want all these like terms and identities put onto me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to define it now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 
310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And I think it it is, and I always say to everyone, it's whatever speed, whatever speed happens and however you get there is your speed. Like I couldn't have had a mastectomy at 27. I need, or maybe I did at 27, where am I? 28. <laughs> I needed to be 28 guys. I needed a whole year later. <laughs> but like, I just needed, you need that space of whatever it is, or maybe you you know, what I used to do was like make a bunch of doctor's appointments and then cancel them and then do it two weeks after because it felt like I had a little bit more control of this like terrible feeling. So it's, and you're also scared of needles. Oh yes, guys. I have vasovagal syndrome. Very scared of needles. (laughs) I faint and I'm scared of needles. If I see my blood getting drawn, I faint. Apparently it's me and huge football players have it too. (laughs) Then the nurses were like, there's always like these enormous men who just pass right out and they wake up and I say, you pass out, sir. And they go, no, I didn't. (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) And she's like, you did. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. As the creators of Clean Beauty, Bare Minerals is driven by a philosophy that makeup and skincare should make your skin better, not just better looking. That's why their best-selling original foundation is made with only five ingredients, all minerals. For Bare Minerals to be clean without compromise means good for skin formulas with proven performance. Upgrade to Clean Beauty products. Use the foundation finder at bareminerals.com to find your perfect match. Get 20% off when you use the promo code CHALLENGED. Bare Minerals, the power of good. Did you know that stress affects your skin? It can cause dryness, signs of aging, and redness. The good news? Sephora's got your solves. Keep your skin concerns in check with Sephora's skin-saving lineup and get ready for stress-free skin in 2020. Quench dryness with top skincare products from Drunk Elephant, Tatcha, and Dr. Barbara Sturm. Drunk Elephant's F-Balm Electrolyte Water Facial is an electrolyte-packed overnight mask that effectively rehydrates overly parched skin. Tatcha's Serum Stick visibly plumps fine lines with targeted hydration. And Dr. Barbara Stern's Glow Drops fight dullness to give you the glow you deserve. To target signs of aging, try the Fresh Lotus Youth Preserve Moisturizer. It prevents visible signs of aging thanks to antioxidants from the lotus plant. Or try the Dr. Dennis Gross Stress Rescue Super Serum, a radiance-boosting serum formulated with superfoods and niacinamide. And to calm redness, there's the Lanai Sika Repair Sleeping Mask, an overnight mask that's formulated to soothe stressed-out sensitive skin. Get the skin-saving lineup only at Sephora, online and in-store now. I've got a fun fact for all my coffee lovers out there. Did you know that coffee is a fruit? And just like fruit, coffee has loads of flavors to discover. Even more important, it tastes best and most delicious when it's picked ripe. Imagine eating an unripe avocado. Uh, no thanks. This is what you're essentially getting when you buy coffee off the shelves. A lot of unripe coffee. Mass harvested for quantity over quality. Which is why I and thousands of other coffee lovers are checking out Atlas Coffee Club. They designed their coffee subscription to source coffees from 50-plus countries around the world where they handpick the fruit coffee bean by coffee bean when it's perfectly ripe. The one we got was sent from Myanmar, and not only is it the cutest packaging ever, the scent in the morning is just the best thing to get me out of bed. It's the only coffee we've been drinking lately. We have two packs right there, and we're obsessed. They go so fast in this house. Specific, yeah, we're loving the Myanmar coffee, and it's so fun because there's a postcard in the box, so you get to learn a little bit about the history of the country, too, so I feel like super educational while I'm drinking my coffee. 
Get your first bag of coffee free. Just pay for shipping by going to atlascoffeeclub.com slash challenged. It takes about two minutes or less to sign up. And for two minutes and $4.95 in shipping, you're getting a whole bag of coffee, which is about what you'd pay for a cup of coffee at a shop. Get your free bag of coffee at atlascoffeeclub.com slash challenged and start a world tour of the world's best coffee. And we're back. So you decide that you're going to go through with the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that you didn't realize that were going to be a part of it? Like you knew obviously a double mastectomy that mm-hmm. you would be losing the breast that you had, but mm-hmm. then you knew that you could then get fake breasts mm-hmm. to replace that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. What's it like to design your new boobs? It's crazy, guys. I mean, I love DIYs, but this is a DIY today, <laughs> and I've never done it before in my life. And there's so many sizes. There's so many shapes. I mean, you talk about different nipple colors, which yes! I don't even think about. So 100%. How long do you get to – how long does this take? What's this process I still like? haven't picked a nipple, you guys. <laughs> I cannot choose a nipple to save my life. We'll help you. What's, what's I What are you oh caught my up God. on? I'm like, do I want tiny, itty-bitty Coachella nipples that, like, have never seen the light of day? Do I want, like, wide, like, luxurious nipples that have, like, fed multiple children? You can pick the nipple depth. Oh my goodness. Wow. And the sh- it's crazy because they're making it based on your own skin and body and then they tattoo it. You can have like n- fake little like nipple like um, 3D things where you have like little bumps on your nipple. You can put that in, which I just, I don't know. Some people looks amazing. I saw this one guy, his name's Vinny from Baltimore, which made me nervous, but he's great. <laughs> Vinny from Baltimore is like the world's best nipple tattoo artist. And if you go on his website, one of these women had like shamrock areolas what? because she loves the Irish. <laughs> so it's like you can do whatever you want. It's so crazy. This is a new world that is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. <laughs> so you so, go from 32G to yes. 32C. Yeah, like a BC. BC. Mm-hmm. What's that like? It's the best feeling in the world. I love it so much. I said like I didn't – I wanted to feel less like a Russian nesting doll more like a Russian ballerina. Like I just wanted to feel like lighter and easier and like I had more control. And if I want to have huge boobs, I put on a fake bra and it's great. Like it's fun and I like that power behind it. Um, sometimes – you know, I, I'll see someone with heaving breasts and like that top jiggle. And I'm like, oh, that, I remember that. That was like a cute time. But when it was happening to me, I was like, does anybody see the jiggle? Is it coming out of something? Like I, I was so self-conscious of it, but now I can really appreciate it on other people. Um, also I can, uh, detect a fake breast anywhere. Like you become a fake breast expert. You look at so many boobs to decide how you want yours to look. Do you want yours that natural like 70s hang, you know, like that like slight, like a triangular breast? Or do you want like those big, huge, like circular 80 stripper boobs? I chose 80 stripper boobs. It turns out like that's my identity. <laughs> and like, do you want Baywatch breasts? Like you can pick whatever you want. Do they have like pictures that you yes. go through? Like a catalog? Hundreds of pictures. Wow. And you do seem like a creep, but not because also these women are like, any woman who wants to see my breasts, I'm like, 100% I'll show you. Let's go to the bathroom. You want to look at it? You want to see the scar? Like, I just want, because once it happens to you, when you're in the dark and you don't know, and you are in that fact-finding place, it is so scary. And you don't want to say to a woman, could you please take off your top? Because I want to see how your nipples look. <laughs> what do fake nipples look like? What do, what it, how does it hang? What does it all feel like? Um, I was worried about like the underboob, like underboobs in 2006. 14 were just like making their big come come out. You know, like when everybody had like the fancy dresses with the underboob. And I was like, what if I get scars under there and I can't do an underboob dress? Not that I would ever do an underboob dress. I'm too like- So much to think about. So much to think about. But, and then when I went into surgery, my cousin sent me all of these clothes that were like backless dresses and things you don't have to wear bras with because when you make these fake breasts, you don't have to wear a bra. They just kind of stay they happy do. and- They're so happy to be right where they are. But there was also the emotional component that you Mm -hmm. talk a lot about as well in your book about having the conversation with your family that you wanted to go through with this major surgery. This is not like a pop in, pop out. You're not like brunching with friends over mimosas being like, look at my new titties. Like they really do have to remove so much. Then they put, um, what are they called? Uh, Spacers and expanders. Spacers and expanders, which Mm -hmm. all the only spacers I knew about were from the braces days. So I was like, yeah, yeah, breast expanders. Expanders and spacers, which is a a painful process. And then there was also the emotional component of you and your husband wanted children in the Mm -hmm. future at this time. Mm -hmm. And you had to kind of be at peace knowing that you wouldn't 
breastfeed your child if you wanted to. Right. And I think the thing that, sorry, I I don't think I answered your first question. What I wish I had known was how serious surgery is because I'd never had surgery before. And that's what I talk about friends of mine. I have a lot of women reaching out to me on Instagram, a lot of people messaging me on Facebook, and they'll just ask so many questions. And I just say, you have to be patient with yourself and loving because healing from a massive surgery, it's like if anybody had a very difficult cesarean or something, like you can't lift things. You can't bend over for like six weeks. And then for me, somebody who's, I'm a pretty nervous medical person. I faint when I see needles. So I kind of went even further into um, hibernating and cocooning myself because I was really afraid that I would pull something or hurt something. So what I didn't realize was how maybe I knew subconsciously a little bit that I'd be like this because I'm like kind of a doomsday body prepper. Um, But I really like um, retreated and got really nervous and was afraid that I would do something wrong or hurt myself. I also chose breasts that were smaller. So the funny, not funny story, my my doctor kept being like, you want a a size larger. I know you want to be small, but you want a size larger. It'll just fit you symmetrically. And I was like, no, I know my body, my choice. Um, I'm picking my own breast size. Thank you. And then a year later when my body sort of adjusted to the implant, she was totally right. (laughs) And they were like these sad, like little emoji, sad face boobies. Like it just looked so sad. And I had gained weight and I just looked, oh, it was so- So did you go back in then and change it? I did. And that's an embarrassing surgery. That's an embarrassing surgery to be like, this isn't for like preventing cancer and saving my life. This is because I have sad titties and we need to redo (laughs) them. But it's not because it is all mental and you, there's a lot of emotional um, kind of pushback that comes with everything you've been through. Yeah. So I say you do whatever you need to do to get the boobs you want. (laughs) Thank you. And that's insurance covered it. Like that's what's so crazy. They're like, because this is sort of an ever evolving process, because this isn't a natural thing we're putting in your body, we're changing it and it's new. They were like, you, multiple people have revisions and they have adjustments. And sometimes your implant can settle in one area. And if you have some fixing done in a surgery, you can move it more to the center however. And like, um, I think too, there's a lot of, as soon as you have surgery, you're looking at yourself and being like, does this look right? Does this look right? And it's, it's going to just look different. It's not going to look like normal breasts. It's going to look very different, but I enjoy how they look. They might. So what they do, all of the breast tissue that those cells are the highly susceptible cells to cancer, your mammary glands as well, not your lymph nodes, which is great. And I knew that if I did actually get breast cancer, it spreads really quickly to your lymph nodes. And then that affects your arm and affects sort of this whole upper shoulder area. And I knew enough to know that I was afraid of ever getting breast cancer because once it spreads to the lymph nodes, then it goes to other parts in your body. And I just seen too many family members not do well with it. Some families are great. I have friends that a sister had it. She was completely cured and happy and fine, but it didn't work that way in my house. So they remove all of the tissue, which includes every single thing except the muscle, your pectoral muscle, and the skin lightly above it. So if you look at your muscles, your pec muscles sort of sit like like an X, like a crisscross X over your chest. And they stay in that place. So if you ever see like, you know, men who are like like lifting and like flinching their, like the rock. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah yes. like the rock. That's where your pec muscles go. And what they did for me is that they created a small little implant that was um, inflated slowly over time by saline. So that slowly moves space in between the muscle that then your forever implant is going to then be put in there during a final reconstruction surgery. So it's, it was two surgeries for two me. Two steps. Two steps. And which is all documented beautifully mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Glamour Magazine, their website, just mm-hmm. glamour.com, they did a web series with mm-hmm. you where uh, they interviewed your family members through this process. They were in the post-op surgery yeah. room. They were there with you when you were getting the spacers yes. and like with saline put into yes. them. They were great. So I, I'm a comedian and I do like um, stand up and like, personal story comedy. And I, my friend was like, you've got to do something with this. Cause I leading up to the surgery, I was just so nervous. I was going crazy. It's like leading up to having a baby. You're like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. I, I can think a million times around the situation, but I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so I had a friend who was a blogger for glamour and I realized on YouTube that the only people talking about preventative double mastectomies or mastectomies or breast reconstruction were women in their late forties to fifties and they were all complaining. It was all terrible experiences. And they, most of them ha- all had cancer. One person didn't have cancer. And then she found out later she did have cancer. And these were sad, sad YouTube confessionals. 
And I said, I have a feeling that because I'm young, because I know your body heals quicker, more quickly, because I know that I'm in a really, I was with Sloan Kettering in New York, really good hospital. I really liked my doctors. I have a feeling it's not going to be as tragic a healing story as these women. So I reached out to Glamour and said, could I do like just to my video cam, you know, like to my computer just before and after each doctor's appointment. So I can kind of fill in women and they won't feel alone because I felt so alone. And it also would give me a little job to do. It's sort of like having a reporting job and I can put on lipstick. And even if I feel totally terrible, I, if I'm helping somebody else, it's not about me. And they're like, oh, let's make it a full-blown documentary. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> well, that's something you definitely say yes to, but also it's, it's yeah, a tall order. I know. And also my family is involved. And I'm like, mom, you don't have to talk about anything if you don't want to. It's your choice. And I like, I was a real tough cookie because I was like, I know the business. I know they're going to get her talking. And then she's going to be upset afterwards. And she's like, she's like, no, I'm comfortable talking. And then um, we had to like, you know, because of like sound and heat and light, they had to close the windows and turn off the AC. My mom's sitting alone in this room with the incredibly amazingly kind director who's also a woman and sweet and talking about her mom. And she goes, so Maggie, how are you feeling? And my mom just like weeps <laughs> right away. And they keep using that clip over and over again. Everyone's like, your poor mother. I was like, <laughs> she only cried once, but she was, I was so like gung ho and I didn't want to be emotional about it because I thought it would make me stop it. I didn't cry during the entire documentary. Maybe one time I cried talking about my How family. many times off camera did you cry? I cried... I had spent so much of my life crying about cancer that there, I really didn't want to cry. I was like, this is a choice I'm doing because, and, and it isn't like I'm a hero. It isn't like I have a saga story. There are women who are battling cancer and they are heroes. I am somebody who is incredibly afraid of getting cancer with a great insurance package. <laughs> like we are different. And I didn't want it to be this, you know, idolization. And I didn't want people to think, call me brave. I'm just doing something that I think is the only way I can handle my anxiety at this moment. So I cried one time talking about my family members and how many of them I lost to cancer in the interview process. And then I just was really like, no bullshit about it. I was like, we are getting it done. Let's go. I even was like ripping up junk mail. It turns out I ripped up my insurance information. And we had to glue it back together right before the surgery. Like just, I just was so steam head, full steam ahead because I just didn't, I just didn't want anything to stop me. Cause I think I was very nervous too. What was the first conversation? I, I know that it's, you talk about how the healing process was around like six to eight weeks, mm -hmm. at least six weeks later, you were back at work, mm -hmm. um, which is impressive. But yeah. like the fact that your body was healing and mm -hmm. on its way mm -hmm. throughout that period of time though, what was the conversation with your father? Like once you started to feel better and once you knew that you made the best decision for yourself? Well, he had, he was nervous, but it was complete relief for the whole family because when they had any other family member go through anything with a breast doctor to go through hospital visits, it always ended in death. And it was somebody who had had mastectomies, his sister and mother had had them. Um, and they both then eventually died of breast cancer as well. So they sort of had this weird PTSD and these weird sensations. And I can only imagine as a parent, you have no control. Your child's going into the hospital and you just want to protect them. And this is not your specialty. You're out of the room. Um, but I did think like my dad, my whole life was afraid that I would get breast cancer. And if I could start the peace of his mind now at like 27, 28, then I could give him these extra years and our less of our time together as, as you know, father and daughter of him not being afraid of breast cancer. And I felt just so happy and he feels so peaceful. And even when he calls me, like he used to be like, Hey, uh, are you doing this? Like he, there was just this tension in his voice. He was always worried. Like, have you gone to the doctor? And now he's like, how you doing girl? Like mm. he's just so much more relaxed. And I just feel like that was this bizarre gift I could give him for peace of mind. And I, I don't even know how I realized it that young. Like I feel like at 27, 28, you're still really in your own shit. And I was, and I was like, just trying to survive. But I thought this is really going to help him heal as a parent and as like a son who's lost so much. Um, and it's just like, so like, it's just so nice to see that visually, that complete peace of mind when it comes to this topic. He still worries about me as a dad. <laughs> of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> Can we ask you how it was to breastfeed or not breastfeed yeah. once you've made, cause you knew that this would mm -hmm. probably happen in your lifetime. So 
my husband, Alan, is like, loves everything organic. He's vegan. He's very natural. And so I was afraid before we even had kids to bring up like, I'd be giving our kids formula. And he was like, oh, I don't care. I was breastfed. Like he didn't care at all. I was breast, I mean, not breastfed. I was bottle fed. I was bottle fed. Like both of us were fine. And so during the process, I was a little bit nervous, but I didn't really have a scope of what it would feel like. Um, And I thought it was a really like powerful, strong, healthy thing because I was going to make sure that my kid in their lifetime never had to deal with this stress of mommy going to get mammograms and what is this and could I get a mastectomy? I also knew I was a nanny for years that they said you couldn't lift your kids. You couldn't pick up children for a number of weeks, sometimes months. And I was like, if I have a child, my own child, and I can't pick him up or grab him from running into the street or something, I just know from my years of childcare, that will be terrible. That'll be devastating. So I even thought like this was a really smart idea to get it before kids. So then I have, I'm pregnant. Everybody's asking me about breastfeeding. I'm like, I can't breastfeed. I don't have any breasts. And so I have to explain to everybody, do you know Angelina Jolie? Yes, I'm just like her. We have the same mutation. We're twins. Everyday Angelina Jolie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, Angeline, we're the same. Sant Angelina Jolie. Um, And so I'm just telling everybody, we we like get this special formula shipped in from Holland because the people I used to nanny for were Dutch and they moved back to Holland. And they sent me this amazing formula that's like the best in the world. And there's now like this tax on it and you can't sell, you can't send too much out of the country because China tried buying all of it one year and they almost lost. It's crazy. It's like the fanciest formula. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll spend thousands. I don't care, like whatever it is. Cause I, that was my way of overcompensating. Um, and they give him to me and I'm all ready to go. I have my, um, my doula knows like the formula. We bring the formula to the hospital and they lay him on my chest and I just like weep uncontrollably because this is the thing, the one thing he needs and the one thing he wants is to breastfeed and I am not even able to have him hold a nipple in his mouth. It was so devastating I for that moment. And then my... And I think it was like maybe the first week I was like, Alan, did I make a terrible decision? Did I, did I take away this important thing? Like, what about his development? And Alan's like, no, you're not going to die of breast cancer. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. He's like, you wrote a book on this. <laughs> you did a document. Like you, you, you won awards for this documentary. Like, this is a big deal. Go Alan. Good yeah. job, Alan. He was like, this isn't, um, a fl- like a flippant decision. This wasn't like when you bought those expensive shoes. Like this is something we really talked about for years. And I was like, okay, you're right. Okay. Like I needed him to sort of tell me that. And Lewis is like the healthiest baby ever. He's so strong. He's so happy. Also, Alan got to feed him overnight so I could sleep because I <laughs> he, like, he like, got less sleep. So everyone's like, I'm waking up. I'm like, I'm not waking up. I'm making him do it. <laughs> I was healing Ida cesareans. So I'm like healing from that. Um, I did miss like the natural endorphins that release when you breastfeed and then the natural endorphins from naturally giving birth, uh, vaginally giving birth. I didn't have either of those. So I think my body was like, you're in a car crash. (laughs) What happened? And we're shutting down. (laughs) So my body kind of lost it for a minute. Um, I gained really some really sad 20 pounds after he was born. It was just so upset about it, but you know, the body is changing. And then I slowly, like my body and myself just really figured it out. And they say like, for some people it takes a couple of months. It took me like a year and now he's almost two and I feel like way better than I've ever been. And so I, I'm constantly like getting stronger and better. But I think with that, every time I can prep as much as possible, but then when something physically happens to my body, I have, I have total loss of confidence. I, I get very scared. I go like, oh God, something's broken or I'm going to hurt myself. And when I had my cesarean, I was like, I didn't want to mess anything up. And and it was a scary birth and all these issues. And I do lose a lot of confidence. And then it just takes me more time, maybe than my friends or somebody else. But then I get it back. But I do know that for me, even like doing these extreme things, like even a mastectomy, even choosing to have a baby and give birth and everything, um, I'll do the action, but I just it just takes me a little bit longer to heal, I think. Well, you're doing a beautiful job. And also the fact that you're sharing your healing process with so many who need someone to tell them that it's okay to feel all the things that they're going through. I mean, I can't imagine the comments that you get and the messages that you get of women just praising you and thanking you for talking about something that a lot of women in their 20s don't talk about, Mm -hmm. but should. And here you are now in your 30s, like with this whole new, all this wisdom and sharing your stories. And I think you're doing a wonderful job continuing to heal. So for our listeners that want to reach out to you, because I know they will after this, where can they find you? 
So I'm on Instagram and Twitter. It's at my childhood nickname, which is at Katie Brodnick, C-A-I-T-Y, Brodnick, B-R-O-D-N-I-C-K. Um, Dangerous Boobies, Breaking Up With My Time Bomb Breasts is available wherever books are sold. Um, and you can always reach out to me and DM me. I get a lot of DMs. And when I was writing the book, writing a book is crazy. Like you're just like, I'm dyslexic. I didn't think I was ever smart enough to even read a full book. Like I was like, I, I'm dumb guys. What am I doing? Why am I writing this book? But my husband would be like, you're doing this. It's not for you actually. It's for the woman who's terrified. It's for the girl who's sick of reading like medical pamphlets. It's not about you, which was the best thing. You don't really want your husband to say always, but it was like a really good thing to say. It's nothing to do with me. Um, I'm writing it as a tool. So then hearing back people telling me their experience is so rewarding because it's just for them. Like it's, it's, the book isn't for me. The book is, it, I, I let it out. It's gone. It's, it's only as a service for it's these people. It's a labor people. of love for those yeah. that will follow you. Who knows? That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much thank for joining guys. us, Caitlin, all the way from New York City. Ah, uh, this was to so fun. What I love so much about Caitlin is how open she is about her whole story. And she really has found a way to have a positive spin on a, a big word. Cancer is not a, a positive word. And she has just flipped the switch on it. And for me mentally too, to see her today and just have her entire demeanor while she's discussing this be positive is, is a really um, wonderful thing to see. And I mean, the truth, I don't really have, we don't have a lot of cancer in my family. I don't think, I feel like I would know. I feel like you definitely would know. I would know. And it's not on my mom's side, not on my dad's side. That's not really, um, Obviously, it's a sensitive, it's just hard to talk about yeah. because it's not something that like I can directly relate to, but I obviously see it in the world around me. Mm -hmm. And also with my husband's family, um, his dad had cancer many years ago and has been in remission and cancer free for a very long time, thank goodness. But it's important. And that's why I knew even if I couldn't contribute to the conversation today, it was so important. I wanted to be here to hear about it and to educate myself so that if any friends or anyone I know who might be questioning something or might be interested in what the word BRCA even means, I didn't even know what that word was. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard the word BRCA. I, I was like, is this a bra type? I don't, <laughs> is this just like a pop quiz? I had no idea. And that's why I think it's so important that Caitlin has decided to write this book and she does a lot of speaking engagements. She's, she engages with her social media, with all of the people who message her on social media, because if we're at a point medically where we're able to look at these tests and take these tests and there are preventative measures, then we should Take the next step to go get There's them. no reason not to get tested. Just get tested so that you know. And for our listeners, Caitlin, even as she left um, today, she really wants you to reach out because she has been through so much and she wants to share her story with you. So if this is something that you want to have a friend with, go through the process with, make sure you get her book, Dangerous Boobies, Breaking Up With My Time Bomb Breasts. Also, you guys can be right there with her while she's going throughout this entire experience with that incredible docu-series that Glamour did. It's called Screw You Cancer. You can look at it. It'll be on YouTube. It's on Glamour.com. This information will also be in the notes. She also has a really great podcast that she does. It's called Scam Wow. Every week they talk about a new scam and a new scam artist. It's fabulous and obviously hilarious because Caitlin's behind it. So we'll have that information in the notes for you guys as well. And thank you guys for joining us. We hope you learned a lot about a really important topic and let's continue this conversation. And we have another great episode coming up next week. Daily Harvest makes it easy to eat well and get the fruits and vegetables you need every day. They deliver thoughtfully sourced, chef-crafted food right to your door, and everything can be prepared in five minutes or less. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code CHALLENGE to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code CHALLENGE for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. dailyharvest.com. As the creators of Clean Beauty, Bare Minerals is driven by a philosophy that makeup and skincare should make your skin better, not just better looking. That's why their best-selling original foundation is made with only five ingredients, all minerals. For Bare Minerals, to be clean without compromise means good for skin formulas with proven performance. Upgrade to Clean Beauty products. Use the foundation finder at bareminerals.com to find your perfect match. Get 20% off when you use promo code CHALLENGED. Bare Minerals, the power of good. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.